Hello, everyone, and welcome to Live Through Jesus with Courtney Gilmore. On this episode, the offerings for peace and restitution, fellowship, corruption, and the salt of the covenant. Leviticus 3, 7, and 8. Now, just as a quick side note, I'll be reading all the scripture references for you, so you're free to just sit back, listen, and absorb, or you can grab your Bible and read along. Most of the time, I'll be reading from the New King James Version, but if I switch, I'll let you know. There's generally a blog post for each one of these lessons on my website, livethroughjesus.com, and all of the past studies are done in writing and available to purchase there for under $5. Since I'm writing as I go along, the current study may not be there quite yet, but it definitely will be available to purchase once all of the episodes for it are complete. I'll try to let you know, but you can also just check the website periodically, maybe each week when a new blog post comes out. If you'd like for me to email you whenever a new blog post or a new study comes out, then email me at Courtney at LiveThroughJesus.com and I'll put you on the email list. Okay, so now that all of that's out of the way, let's get started on this week's lesson. For the last two weeks, we've been going over Leviticus 8, whenever Moses is anointing Aaron and his sons as the high priest and as priests. And the first lesson, we did an overview of the consecration ceremony. And the first thing that Moses asked the priest to do is to wash in the bronze basin. And then they dressed in their priestly clothes. And Moses anointed Aaron as the high priest with the anointing oil. And then we touched on the fact that they made sacrifices, but we didn't talk about them that first week. And last week, we talked about the first two sacrifices. First, they sacrificed a bull as a sin offering, and then they sacrificed a ram as a burnt offering. And if you happen to miss that episode, you're going to want to go back and listen to it because we talked about all the details of each one of the sacrifices and how each one of those things pointed to Jesus and to how we are supposed to live our lives now. And really the main focus was what type of sacrifices we are willing to make for God. And then just that sin does require a sacrifice and how God asks us to confess our sins and take responsibility for them. So those were the last two sacrifices. This week, I want to talk about the next sacrifice that they made, which was the peace offering. The first two sacrifices that we talked about last week really paved the way for this sacrifice because those were made for their sins and this one represents the peace that they have with the Lord now that their sins have been forgiven. And so this offering is also a ram and they began by laying their hands on the head of this ram and Aaron and his sons killed it, making peace between them and the Lord now that their sins have been atoned for in the previous sacrifices. And then Moses took some of the blood and he put it on the tip of the right ear and the right thumb and the big toe of the priests. And then he threw the rest of the blood on the sides of the altar. And this was done to symbolize how their hearing and their actions and their direction had been placed under the blood and remind them that they are supposed to listen and act and walk according to the sacrifice that had been made for their service. In order for them to serve God, their sins had to first be paid for. 
Now, normally, if this would have been a peace offering made by the people and not by the priests, then the fat would have been burned on the altar to God, and then the breast would have been waved before God and eaten by the high priest, and the right thigh would have been lifted up to God to show him, yes, I know that this belongs to you, but then they would take that and the offering priest would eat that along with the grain offering that the person had brought with them. And then the person that made the offering would be left with the rest of the meat to eat. That would be the normal way that a peace offering would be presented. But since the priests were the one offering this sacrifice, then they didn't receive the breast or the thigh. Instead, they ate the rest of the meat that would normally be eaten by the common person because they were the person offering it. And that is who eats the remainder of the meat is the person offering it. So in this instance, Moses took the fat, but he also took the right thigh and the loaf and the cake and the wafer that normally would belong to the priest. And he placed all of this in the hands of the priests and the priests waved these things before God to show, yes, I know these things belong to you. And then they burned all of these things on top of the burnt offering to show him that they're given those things to him. And then Moses also waved the breasts of the ram before the Lord, but he kept that portion back for himself because he's acting as high priest in this ceremony, and that is who generally gets the breast. And then the priests boiled the rest of the meat, and they ate it in the courtyard along with the rest of the bread. Now, the peace offering is also called the fellowship offering because it's eaten in fellowship. In this case, God's portion had been consumed through the burnt offering of the first ram and the fat offering of the second ram and also what normally belonged to the priests. And then the meat of the second ram, along with the rest of the grain offering, was consumed by Moses and the priests as a peace offering. And so the priests are sharing a fellowship meal with God once their sins had been atoned for. Now, after the consecration week, when another person offered a peace offering, then they would bring an unblemished male or female, either from their herd or from their flock, and they would lay their hands on its head and they would kill it. And then the priest would throw its blood against the sides of the altar and burn the fat on top of the burn offerings. And then the priest would wave the breast in front of the Lord and then keep it back for the high priest. And then they would lift up the thigh and present it to the Lord. And then the priest that offered it would take that for himself and eat it. And if this was a Thanksgiving offering, then the priest would also receive an unleavened loaf with oil and an unleavened wafer that was smeared with oil and then a loaf of flour with oil. And then the person that offered the sacrifice would eat the rest of the meat and the rest of the bread. And so the fellowship meal would normally be shared by God and the priest and the person offering the sacrifice because God received the fat and the blood of the animal. The priest would receive the breast and the thigh and then the person that is offering it would receive the rest of the sacrifice. And then during this consecration week, and then later, if the offering was given as a Thanksgiving offering, then it had to be eaten on that day. If there was any left over till the following day, they had to burn it. 
But if it was given as a free will offering, it's just, we give this to you freely, God, because we love you. Or if it was given as a vow offering, then they could also eat it for the second day. But if any was left over till the third day, then they had to burn it. If anyone ate it past the day that it was prescribed, then the offering became null and void. And that person became guilty of disobeying the Lord. And so they had to eat it only the days that they were allowed. Now, the reason that sometimes people would do this as a vow offering is because this would be two parties agreeing on something together. And so this would be like them making peace together and then having a fellowship meal together whenever they make a contract with another person. So the peace offerings were generally done for either Thanksgiving or a vow or just as a free will offering to the Lord. Now, a couple of words that you need to remember. So the first one is peace offering and fellowship offering. Those are the same things. Whenever you hear those two words, those can be interchangeable. The second thing is a wave offering. The breast, when it was waved in front of the Lord and then taken by the high priest, they would call that a wave offering. So when you hear that word wave offering, that's what that means. It means that they're waving that offering in front of the Lord and then keeping that for themselves, which is the breast for the high priest. Now, the other word is heave offering or contribution offering. It'll sometimes be called that. And the heave offering is the right thigh. And the reason it's called a heave offering is because it's lifted up. It's like it's so heavy they have to lift it up, heave, okay? And so they would lift this offering up to the Lord and then take it for the offering priest. And that was the right thigh. This is also called the contribution offering because this was the person that offered the sacrifice. It was their contribution to the priest for offering their sacrifice for them. It's what they gave to the priests for his work. So they would also call that the contribution offering. So those are just a few words that you want to try to remember. If you happen to buy this study whenever I get it finished and put it online, then these words will be written out on a vocab sheet at the back of the study. And so that'll help a little bit. It won't be something that you have to totally remember. So that is the last offering that is done on the week of consecration. And before we move on to talking about the priest's daily work and all of that, I'd like to just talk about a couple of the things that we need to learn from this fellowship offering. The first thing is how Moses touched the blood on the right ear and the right thumb and the right big toe, showing that the priest's hearing and his actions and his direction were placed under the blood of their sacrifice. It's the same for us today. Our hearing and our actions and our direction also has been placed under the blood of the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. And so we too need to listen and act and walk according to the sacrifice that was made in order for us to become God's servants. And so I want you to listen to four separate verses that talk about how our hearing and our actions and our direction need to be worthy of the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. The first one is Proverbs 1.5. And it says, a wise man will hear and increase learning, and a man of understanding will attain wise knowledge. 
Because Jesus sacrificed his life for us, the least we can do is listen and learn. The next passage I want to read is the first 11 verses of chapter 2 in Proverbs. It's a little bit long, but it really covers our hearing and our actions and our walk, all three. And so I want to go ahead and read all of those verses. Now, remember that the book of Proverbs is written by King Solomon And it's written to his son as instructions for him to live a successful life. So he says, My son, if you receive my words and treasure my commands within you, so that you incline your ear to wisdom and apply your heart to understanding. Yes, if you cry out for discernment and lift up your voice for understanding. If you seek her as silver and search for her as for hidden treasures. Then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God, for the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth came knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk uprightly. He guards the paths of justice and preserves the way of his saints. Then you will understand righteousness and justice, equity and every good path. When wisdom enters your heart and knowledge is pleasant to your soul, Discretion will preserve you. Understanding will keep you. So Solomon is telling his son, you need to seek for these things as if they're hidden treasure. They're that important. And he says that God stores up wisdom for the person that walks upright. And so that's our direction. How we said that our direction needs to be worthy of the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. It also says that God guards the paths the way that we walk, if we are just, he preserves our way. If we do all of these things, then we'll understand righteousness and justice, equity, and all good paths. So it's very important for us to listen and pay attention and walk according to God's ways and act in a way that's pleasing to him. I want you to hear what it says in Ephesians 4, 1 through 3. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And so Paul is begging these people here to walk worthy of the calling that they were called to. That's the same thing we're talking about here. Walk worthy. Act worthy. Listen as if you understand the sacrifice that Jesus made in order for you to become his servant. This is all very, very important. And then the other thing that we need to learn from the peace offering or the fellowship offering is that because of the sacrifice of Jesus, we've been reconciled to God too. And our sin used to separate us from God and it deserved death. But Jesus suffered that death that we deserve in order to bring peace between us and God. That's what the peace offering does. It brings peace between the person that offers it and the Lord. So Jesus did that for us so that we could have peace with God. And now we can also have fellowship with God because there's peace. And we're going to even have more fellowship with him in eternity. All of this is because of the sacrifice of Jesus. Now, I want to read to you several verses. 
The first one is 1 Corinthians 1, 9, and it says, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. So that's just confirmation that God has called us into fellowship with Jesus. The rest of these are really just the heart of the gospel. They're really important foundational scriptures, and they explain this entire process, what Jesus' sacrifice did and what it was. And so I really want to go over all of them. So the first one is Romans 5, 1 and 2, and it says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. So we've been justified. Justice has been served. And now we have peace with God. And then go down further in that same chapter to verse 8. And we're going to read 8 through 11. It says, But God demonstrates his own love towards us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his Son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. And so this is talking about how we were enemies to God whenever we were living in sin. And Jesus died for us at that time so that we could be reconciled to him, so that justice would be served and we could have peace with God. And because of that, also fellowship with him. Now, the next one is 2 Corinthians 5, 17 to 21. And it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on his behalf, be reconciled to God. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Just that last verse is the essence of the gospel, isn't it? God made Jesus who knew no sin to be our sin so that we could be his righteousness. He does not impute our sins on us. Instead, Jesus takes those sins, dies for those sins, and then we become Jesus' righteousness. That's how we're set right. That's how reconciliation is made. And now we have a ministry of reconciliation. That kind of goes back to walk, listen, and act according to the sacrifice that's made. If we have reconciliation because of Jesus, then that needs to be our ministry. That needs to be how we listen, act, and walk is according to that reconciliation. Next verse, Colossians 1, 19 to 23. For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell, and by him to reconcile all things to himself, 
by him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. And you, who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death, to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. If indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. So it says that Jesus made peace through his blood on the cross. Now we're reconciled through the blood of Jesus, through his body, so that Jesus can now present us as holy and blameless and above reproach to God. Again, it's just the gospel message. This is the last verse on this subject. 1 John 1, 5-7. And this one also kind of mingles how we're supposed to act with this peace and fellowship that we receive through Jesus' sacrifice. So it says, This is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and we walk in darkness, we lie and we don't practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So this is saying that if the sacrifice has been made for us and we want to walk in fellowship with God, then we have to act and walk according to his truth and his ways and not in the darkness that we once were in before we received the sacrifice that he made for us. It says that if we do that, then we have fellowship with each other too, not just with God, and that Jesus' blood cleanses us from our sins. So we need to walk worthy of the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. Okay, so that completes Leviticus 8. And now that the priests have been anointed, there are a couple of other offerings that Moses goes over with them and explains to them how to perform and the rules that go along with those. And so we're going to talk about those real quickly so that we can complete the offerings and sacrifices. So now that they are priests, every single day they have to offer a lamb that's a year old every single morning and every single evening as a burn offering. And then along with this, they also have to present a grain offering and a drink offering. All of these things, a burnt offering, a grain offering, and a drink offering to the Lord every morning and every evening. And to make the grain offering, they would mix a half a gallon of flour with a fourth of a gallon of oil and bake it on the griddle. And then they would burn half of this in the morning and half of this in the evening to the Lord along with the lamb. These are completely burned up, all of them. And then the drink offering is a fourth of a gallon of wine, and that is poured out in a holy place because it is also given completely to the Lord. All of this is basically a meal given to the Lord, a meal of meat, bread, and a drink every single morning and every night. And this belongs completely to God, not to the priests or to any other person. So they would do this every single day, no matter what, in addition to all of the other offerings that the people would bring. And then Moses also gave them the rules of the grain offerings. 
And the grain offerings were a mixture of fine flour and oil. There could be no yeast and no honey in these grain offerings, but they had to be seasoned with salt. And so this was fine flour and oil seasoned with salt. And it could either be raw or it could be baked in the oven or in a pan or on the griddle. So if they wanted to cook it, then they would bake the unleavened loaves of oil and flour or the unleavened wafers, and then they would smear those with oil. And if they baked them on the griddle, then they would mix the oil and the flour together and then break it into pieces and pour oil on it. And if they wanted to bring an offering of their first fruits, like whenever their grain had just been harvested, then they would roast the ears of their grain and crush it and mix it with the oil. And if the grain offering was not cooked, then the priest would receive it and they would take a handful of this grain and oil mixture along with some frankincense and burn it on the altar as a memorial portion to the Lord. Now, if they baked it, then they would take a piece of the bread or wafer or cake that the person brought as an offering and they would burn that on the altar as a memorial portion to the Lord. But it doesn't seem that they had frankincense with the baked offerings, only with the raw ones. And then the rest of the offering would be eaten by the offering priest. And the raw offerings were shared by Aaron and his sons. And so that was the law of the grain offerings. And the last offerings that Moses instructed the people on were relational sins, where people sinned against God in their relationship with him, or they sinned against another person in their relationship with him. So these were personal sins. And so he said that if a person witnesses a crime and then the judge calls for people to testify and they saw what happened, but they choose not to testify, then that would be something that would make them guilty in their relationship. Also, if they touch something unclean and then if they made a promise and didn't fulfill it. So if they just said they were going to do something and either they forgot or they changed their mind and they didn't do it, then they would be guilty. And in those cases, the cases of where they didn't speak up and testify, or when they touched something unclean, or when they didn't fulfill a vow, then they would have to offer a female lamb or goat as a sacrifice. And then the fat would be burned as a burnt offering, and the blood would serve as a sin offering, and then the meat could be eaten by the priests. And if the person couldn't afford a lamb or a goat, then they would offer two turtle dove or two pigeons. And the reason that they had to offer two for the birds is because there wasn't enough blood and fat on the birds for God to have part of that and the priest to share the rest. And so they would have one bird that would be burned completely as a burnt offering to the Lord. And then the other one was a sin offering that could be eaten by the priests. And then if they couldn't afford even the birds, then they would have to offer a grain offering, which would be a half a gallon of flour. And this did not have any oil or frankincense because it was being done because of their guilt, not because they were thankful or making a promise or just giving a free will offering. And then some of this grain would be burned as a memorial and the rest would be eaten by the priests. Then it listed a new set of crimes and it says, If they were disloyal to God in some way or they sinned in the holy things, 
then they would offer a ram as compensation for what they had done, but they would then take the value of that ram and add one fifth to that, and they would give that to the priest for payment because they had done something wrong, and so they were making up for that. Now, if somebody sinned unintentionally and they didn't know how to make restitution, then they would just offer the ram or the equivalent of it. But if a person sinned against another person, then they would offer a ram or its equivalent to God. Then they would restore whatever it is that they had taken from that person and they would add a fifth to its payment. And so this is the list of the offenses that they could have committed towards another person. This is Leviticus 6, beginning in verse 1. And it says, If a person sins and commits a trespass against the Lord by lying to his neighbor about what was delivered to him for safekeeping or about a pledge, or about a robbery, or if he has extorted his neighbor, or if he's found what was lost and lies concerning it and swears falsely. If any of these things happen, then they're to offer the ram or its equivalent, plus they have to restore what it is they took from the person, and then they also have to give them one-fifth of that as a payment. These are all things that they took from another person. If someone had entrusted them with a pledge or with their money and they said, here, keep this safe. And then that person took a little bit of that or pretended it was lost or whatever in order to keep some of that. If they robbed a person, if they found something that their neighbor lost and they told them that they didn't find it and kept it for themselves, all of these are things that they took from another. And if they did that, then they would have to serve the consequence of that by sacrificing an animal to God But they would also have to pay that person back for what they took and then add one-fifth of that to them for what would be called like for pain and suffering, right? For the time that they have been without whatever it is that we took from them. And so what can we learn from these offerings? We talked about the peace offering. We know that they offered sacrifices daily. Let's talk about the grain offering now. Think about sin for one second and how one sin usually leads to another sin, right? If you lie, then you have to lie over and over again in order to cover up the previous lies. If we are angry, if we allow that anger to grow and fester, then it'll turn into bitterness and wrath or violence or vengeance. And then one act of betrayal leads to a future of distrust with the person that we've betrayed. All of these sins grow into something bigger than they should be. And that brings us to the yeast and honey. Yeast and honey cause fermentation and they cause growth. And that's why they're associated with sin. Good things can grow out of our righteousness too. But the fermentation process is not just about growth. It's about the breaking down of a substance that causes that growth. And righteousness has no breaking down. All righteousness builds up. And so nothing that they offered to the Lord could have any trace of corruption in it. Listen to what it says in 1 Corinthians 5, 6 to 8. Your glorying is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Therefore purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, since you are truly leavened. For indeed, Christ our Passover was sacrificed for us. 
Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So do you notice that he lists malice and wickedness to be with leaven? That means that those things have grown out of anger and casual sin. In contrast, truth and sincerity are not leavened. Those are just straightforward, right? If you're truthful, it's just, that's the truth, the end. Sincerity, pretty straightforward. You don't have to be wondering what a person's thinking if they're sincere. But malice and wickedness grow and ferment and cause all kinds of problems. The people could eat yeast and honey in their regular food, but it just couldn't be in the offerings because there didn't need to be any representation of the corruption. And so instead of having the yeast and the honey, all of their offerings had to be seasoned with salt. And the reason for that is because, yeah, salt makes things taste better, but it also has other purposes. Salt is healing and purifying, and it also preserves. And so this sacrifice cleans us from all our sin. And by seasoning the grain with the salt, it represents the purification of the people through the sacrifice. And then also the healing of our relationship with God. And it also reminded them that God was going to preserve them and keep his covenant with them. And they also needed to keep their covenant. Let's look at a couple of verses for that. The first one is found in Deuteronomy 7.12. And it says, Then it shall come to pass, because you listen to these judgments and keep and do them, that the Lord your God will keep with you the covenant and the mercy which he swore to your fathers. Listen to what it says in 1 John 1, 9. We were just in 1 John 1 earlier, but now we're going to verse 9. It says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So he is faithful. He keeps his promise to cleanse us. Cleansing is that purification process. If we will just confess our sins, then God will forgive our sins and he will clean us from our wickedness, just as salt cleanses. The next one is in 1 Peter 2, 24 and 25. And it says, He himself bore our sins in his own body on a tree that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. By his stripes we were healed. Because of his death, we can be righteous. We can be healed to God. Last one, 1 Thessalonians 5.23. It says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless as the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let God's peace sanctify you so that you can be preserved blameless when Jesus comes. That's the purpose of the salt of the covenant, showing our cleansing from sin, representing the purification that the people receive through their sacrifice and then the healing of their relationship with God, reminding them that God would preserve and keep his covenant and that they needed to do the same. Now, the last lesson that we need to take from these offerings is from the restitution offerings. 
When we sin against another person, it is very important that we not only pay the consequence for that sin, but that we pay that person back that we wronged. And notice that God doesn't even ask that they just pay that person back or pay the consequence for that, but he requires restoration. He commands that an additional payment be made to that person for their loss. And so when we take something from someone, whether it's a possession or something that's intangible, we can take other things from people. We can take their reputations. We can take their trust. We can take their innocence. There's all kinds of things that we can take from people. And we need to do whatever it is that we can do to make it up to that person. If there is any way to give them back what we took from them, we need to do that and more. And if there's no way to give that back to them, then we need to make it right in whatever possible way we can. It's not enough just to say we're sorry and even pay a consequence for that. That's not enough. If we destroy someone's reputation because we're walking around telling lies about them, then we have to go and tell those same people that we lied to the truth about that person to restore their reputation. If we betray a person, if we cheat on them or betray their trust in some way, we have to not only pay whatever that consequence is and ask forgiveness for that, but even if the person forgives us, they're going to need for us to prove to them that we can be trusted from there on out. And that could be a long process. And we have to be willing to do that because we're the one that broke their trust. We're the one that took that trust from them and we have to restore that. Whether that means giving up our privacy, telling every move we make and being fully transparent, whatever it is that we need to do in order to prove that they can trust us, we have to do that. So. Think about today, how can we make restitution with another person? What is it that you might need to do in order to make things right with someone else? Pay the consequence for it, restore whatever it is you took from them, and then go above and beyond to make that situation right because you're the one that made it wrong in the first place. Okay, so I know that was a long lesson today, but... I didn't want us to be going over sacrifices in another lesson. So next week, we'll move on from this chapter and we'll be a decent ways into Leviticus by next week. So make sure you subscribe so you don't miss that episode. Leave me a five-star review. That always helps. And leave comments wherever you're listening. If you would like to email me instead, my email address is Courtney at LiveThroughJesus.com. Thanks and have a good day. Thank you.